When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Impact Theory Podcast, your source of empowering ideas and actionable techniques from the world's highest achievers. Join host Tom Bilyeu, serial entrepreneur and co-founder of the billion-dollar brand Quest Nutrition, on a journey to unlock your potential and realize your vision of success. Welcome to Impact Theory. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of After Impact. I'm your host, Tom Bilyeu, and I am joined by a very special guest today, the doctor. Dr. Finesse is in the house. What is up, dude? How you doing? I'm doing very well. And for those that are wondering where our boy Agent Smith is, Agent Smith is working remotely this entire month. We may or may not be able to find a way to have him record his side remotely. We'll figure that out later. But in the interim, Mm -hmm. we have my man. Christopher McDonald, what's up? Nothing much, nothing much, man. I have to say, uh, for this episode, uh, we're discussing Mike Posner. Yes. Yes, and uh, I have to say, uh, in watching this episode, I always go back after a guest is on, and I, and I go and watch how it looks on the screen. That's just mm. important. Of course, we do our passes. Like a TV screen. Like a TV yeah, screen. Yeah. And um, when I watched it, I remember thinking, like, oh, man, how are our viewers going to respond to this? This feels very slow. His energy is very serene to the point where... It's like still pond water. And I remember thinking, oh, man, how's this going to go over? And I got about five minutes in, and the worry really started to set in. And then I didn't even know until the end that I matched his level. And by the end of the episode, I was captivated. It's like, man, this is an important episode. This is great to see this side of him. And it's definitely unlike any episode we've ever had. Because mm. we normally have people on who just kind of bring this energy and not to say that he didn't have energy, but it's a completely different type of energy. Yeah. So I, I guess I wanted to get your thoughts sitting across from him for an hour. And uh, you're like the antithesis of Mike Poster. <laughs> so I want to get your feelings on his energy. Yeah, it was so interesting, man. And I talk about it in the interview. I was like, I wasn't sure who was going to show up. Because yeah. he really has like a bunch of different like modes, if you will. So you've got the pop star mode where he can command a crowd. I mean... Tens of thousands of people, and he can get them all in sync, high energy, rocking it out. Then there's the very um, almost aggressive Mike Posner from Mansions, if you know his side group that he does with Black Bear. And there it was like like edgy, um, almost like messing with reporters and stuff. And then there was the zen-like, super serene, deeply thoughtful, ultra-philosophical version of him. And I was like, who the fuck am I going to get? I literally have no idea who's going to show up for this interview. And from the moment he walked in the house, it was like the zen, the like super engaging, but really peaceful um, energy. And it was was so cool because when you look in his eyes, like he's fucking there, dude. Mm -hmm. Like he's sharp, he's he's all there. And even though he's like metered, and you can tell that he's taking his time to really be thoughtful about what he's saying. Like, he's so engaged with you. Mm-hmm. In fact, even as I'm saying this to you, I find myself wanting to, like, really hold <laughs> your eye contact. Because exactly. that's how he was like. Like, he yeah. was dialed in. Yeah. And it's so funny because uh, before he walked in, 
Uh, as usual with any guest who comes, uh, I stand outside and I greet them and I wait for them to come in. And I was standing outside and uh, this car pulled up and it didn't, I mean, I didn't know what I expected him to be driving or what he was going to pull up in, but it was not what I expected. It was just this, like this tiny hatchback, maybe from like 1996. <laughs> it pulled up and I don't think, and he definitely wasn't driving. So I looked up and I didn't know who it was. And instead of coming down in front of the door where all guests are instructed to come and where they naturally come because no guest wants to walk off the beaten path, right. he pulled up in your upper driveway, your upper parking uh, spots with, uh, it's a rock, it's a little rock section of parking. And I kept waiting for him to come out and I waited five minutes and he never came out of his car. And I went up there and it was Mike and his friend and I could hear it. They were listening to almost like this Gregorian chanting laced with like inner beats like teutonic drummings too and i was like okay and they're listening to music and i stood outside of his car i didn't want to interrupt him but i just kept waiting he's gonna see me and he's gonna come out and i probably waited for 10 minutes just standing <laughs> outside his car while they just sat and listened and i don't know if they were meditating or what but i remember right away knowing okay that's what we're gonna get that's the mike posner who's gonna show mm. up the very calm and serene mike posner you know what is super weird totally randomly he texted me today uh-huh and he so he is an amazing poet christopher mm. amazing and i, I was being sincere yeah. when i said i am way skeptical when people say that they're a poet <laughs> and so i'm doing the research and he's like oh you know I, i've got this book of poetry coming out and i thought oh god so but i <laughs> hey fair shake right yeah. give it a, give oh, it yeah. a shot so i um actually first i heard him perform one on a radio interview he was doing oh wow and and they called him out because he was like oh you know i do poetry and they were like going into something he's like i know where this is going you want me to do one don't you and they're like yeah like you gotta do it. so he gets up and he performs it not only was it amazing his performance of it huh. was amazing yeah so then i dive in and i start like reading some of his poetry and listening to him do the poetry and i was like holy shit like this is really good so he texted me today and he said hey i want you to listen to these and he sends me the album which is i was born on a very 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 cold day in detroit or just very cold day i think and so sends me the playlist he said i'm sending this to you because we worked on the order of it while we were sitting in your driveway. Are you serious? Yeah. Wow. That's so that's crazy. super weird. I that's didn't know crazy. you were going to yeah, talk about I that. Just, I, and I was just standing there patiently. And I was like, I know he sees me. <laughs> but I guess now that I know he was working, he yeah. was, I was interrupting. Because they were, they, I think that dropped like not too long after wow. he was here. That's, that's so. crazy. Um, one thing that I noticed in watching the episode, and I, and I see that our viewers notice also, um, that Mike pretty much smiled the entire episode. Yeah. Like the entire episode, he just smiled. And, and you just don't see that too often, you know what I mean? And it's one of those things where people hide behind their smiles. People say that all the time. There's something deeper behind it. But at the same time, uh, there is weight to the theory that uh, you feel what you exude, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? There's constant criticism these days where people, uh, when they tell you to smile, like, ah, oh, smile, you know, stop frowning, you know? But if you're frowning, there's a reason. But you always hear, too, that if you do smile and put some effort into your happiness, because sometimes happiness takes effort, uh, you can have happiness. You know what I mean? You can put yourself on the road to happiness. So what are your thoughts on that? Dude, I think that's super important. And I don't know if he was doing that or if he's just in a good place. Mm -hmm. I literally have no idea. But the research on what you're talking about is crazy clear. This has been one of the most useful things in my life. To understand that, and can I steal that phrase, by the way, that you feel what you exude? I yeah, like that please, a yeah. lot. Yeah. And, and that's, that's, it's something told me you'd have research behind this. I could 
I could mention anything and you'd be like, oh, by the way, there was a study. <laughs> like, God, on peanut butter and jelly sandwiches? <laughs> it never fails. But, but yeah, sorry. So, yeah, the, and the studies are clear. Jeez. It's uh, that you really do get what you exude. Like, you, you feel it. And so there's, uh, we were just talking before we started rolling, and I'm reading about Leonardo da Vinci right now. Yeah. And, I, and it's one of those books where I didn't expect to get a lot of like, oh, I'm going to use this in my life. And, um, and I never know when I read a book like that how it's going to come up for me. And I was saying to you, and this is so true, the punchline of the book on Da Vinci is to learn your craft. Like, mm. however well you think you're learning it, like there's levels 10, 20 times deeper than that. And reading about him and how he dissected human cadavers to understand the musculature and how like certain like, oh God, there was... A part there's a part of the muscle in the face where it's like you can't smile without touching like one of the parts of your lips. I don't remember exactly what it was, but they were saying how important that would be for a painter to understand that like while you can move, I think it's your bottom lip in one way, your top lip always moves in sync with something else. And so to understand if you're trying to paint it, that those two things are connected, like literally connected physically by musculature and so there is no way to move one without the other and i thought wow like that's like for somebody because they want to paint realistically (laughs) they start dissecting humans i was like that's that's like a super deep layer and that's where all this research goes with like okay if you want to take control of your emotions understanding that your physicality is tied literally biologically like the chemicals that you secrete and the um the emotional states that you begin to experience mentally are mapped and connected to your physicality. So if you want to feel happy, smiling, laughing, holding power poses, like all of these things that will actually influence your brain chemistry. And conversely, if you're allowing yourself to like shrink in, you're more likely to feel anxious. There's all these- Just like from weird, body movements. 100%. And That's I've nice. talked about this on the show before. The first thing I did because- um, I don't get angry very easily, but when I get angry, I stay angry. Yeah. And so I was trying to break out of this. And that's actually not true of me anymore, but that was very true of me when Lisa and I first got together. Mm-hmm. And so I'd waste all this time getting pissed off. And so I wrote this letter to myself after reading the study about it and saying, hey, if you're in a bad mood, basically laugh out loud. And I just found it is literally impossible. I don't mean that figuratively. It is literally impossible to stay angry if you laugh out loud for let's say north of 30 Mm. seconds. Like at first you feel like a total asshole, it's totally fake, you're like, (laughs) what am I doing? This is so ridiculous. And then all of a sudden you're like, whoa, it's actually lightening my mood. And then it's like, wow, I'm actually feeling better. I'm feeling more upbeat. It is so surreal and so fast acting that it's one of those things I highly, highly encourage people to do. Now, if Mike is using in that way, I don't know, maybe it started that way for him. I know he's explored a lot of things Mm -hmm. like that. Um, but it seemed pretty genuine. Yeah, yeah, it really did. And um, I mean, it's just straight through. And, and he was responsive. Certain things that you would say that would make him smile even bigger. It was just there. He seemed in a good place. Mm. Uh, you can tell, you know, he's been th- to bad places. But when he was in this chair, at least for that moment, he was in a great place for sure. Um, we teased the episode at the top with Mike saying, how many of our so-called goals are just there because we're scared being alone in the room? We're just making it up because we're afraid to be productive. Um, Very curious to get your thoughts on that. Uh, I know you've talked about meditating uh, before. Um, And just in general, I know that it's hard for a lot of people. It's hard for me to to be still, to be present, to get a quiet mind. Uh, And he goes into describing when he was in a quiet room, he was thinking of the smells he was 
everything around the room and his mind started to wander. So do you think we're in a world where people can't quiet the mind because they're afraid to quiet the mind because they're just constantly worrying and thinking what needs to be done or they just physically can't quiet the mind? Like what, what's there? I think there's two things at play. So one is meditation, which is quieting the mind, okay. I think is incredibly important. I think everybody can do it. I think that it takes some practice, but once you learn to quiet the mind, it there there's no fear to be found in meditation. Meditation, you may pass through a moment of, and now my mind is racing and I'm thinking about all the bad things or whatever, but on the other side of that through breath control is literally you're entering the sympathetic or excuse me, the parasympathetic nervous system. And once the parasympathetic nervous system is engaged, your mind will literally quiet. And I literally just wrote a um, newsletter about this. In fact, it's probably the newsletter that comes out tomorrow, I think, um, talking about how we, we think on multiple levels. So level one is, and this is not me quoting science or anything. This is like my intuitive understanding, so I can okay. very much be wrong, but this is okay. my experience. You've got the, the thinking on the level of words where you actually hear like a narrator in your mind. Mm. Then you've got the level right below that where you feel the sense of the sentence, but you don't actually articulate the words below that as sort of emotional and pictorial mm. um, in nature. And then you've got like a truly quiet mind where I think you're finally connecting the conscious and the subconscious. Now I say that because that's where I get my best ideas is when I'm meditating, where I feel that I've literally shut down those higher levels that I just walked through. And now it's like, there's nothing and then there's an idea that I'm like, whoa, like that makes sense. It hits me all at once. And it feels like right before that breakthrough idea, you're, you're truly in what's often described as a calm and creative place. Mm-hmm. And that calm and creative place manifests as being completely present in the physicality of the moment, in the breath, <clears throat> in the sounds. Like you're just, you're there, you're experiencing them. You're not um, commenting on them in your mind. You're just experiencing them. So that is, that I think is one thing. Amazing, that's how if you've got demons, you're actually gonna get them to go quiet. Mm. Now, the other thing is seclusion, is no reference to time, nothing Mm. to do, trying to ignore or silence your ambition. And I have never done it, so maybe it is absolutely amazing. And he Mm. did a whole podcast about being in the room for a week, and it sounds like fucking torture. I could never do it. But for him, it seemed like he really walked away with like some deep, like monastic glimpses into his soul. And Mm. so it it may be profoundly beneficial in its suffering, if that makes sense. Mm. But, and I brought this up in the episode. In Long Walk to Freedom, Nelson Mandela talks about solitary confinement and Mm -hmm. how it is basically the worst thing you could do to a human being, Mm -hmm. that even physical pain is better than being in that kind of prolonged boredom with no interaction. And so I don't don't advise it. I don't know that it's good. I'm not going to run out and do it because I don't, one, I don't feel that need like I don't have something in me that's like whoa there's some big hole or darkness or anything that I need to address um and then two like it doesn't seem great like the (laughs) the humans come pre-wired with certain things and one of them is we're an active species the brain abhors boredom Mm. and it will literally people talk about hallucinating because the mind's like i can't fucking deal with this (laughs) so i'm gonna tell you a story whether you want a story or not (laughs) like some interesting shit's gonna happen whether it's real or not like so the fact that the mind rebels against it that hard 
um, makes me super suspicious of its value. Yes. But I will say he got something out of it. It's funny because two things on that subject. Uh, a friend of mine, Tommy Caprio, um, uh, I used to work with him in the past. Now we're friends. Uh, he's gotten very into nature. Uh, he is what people would call granola or, country, or crunchy. <laughs> and he started doing this, I want to say about six years ago, and he goes once a year, where he goes to this retreat up in, I think, Yellowstone or something like that, and they get together in the cabin. It's a silence retreat. And everyone who's there, you can't speak to anyone. You can't talk or anything. You can't even write down what you're feeling. You just, they'll feed you, you can hang out, but you just can't talk. And this is for like a week of this. But every night for that week, you only get like an hour to spend with these people. But they encourage you to go and take long walks. Uh, and then um, for most of the day, I would say uh, the bulk of the day, you're in a room, in your room, just sitting and being still and, and being secluded. And the first year he did it, he said, I never thought it, I would freak out like I, I did. He goes, I didn't believe that your mind could actually just start doing crazy things. Of course, it wasn't solitary confinement, but he started freaking out. He, when people say, oh, face your demons, quiet your mind, you'll face your demons, it sounds so cliche, but he said, wow. Every, things that he didn't even know he was worrying about came to the surface. Wow. He was like, wow, I was actually worrying about that, but it helped him deal with it. And then the other thing I was going to say is I, great, I read this very great um, GQ expose on solitary confinement, and they interviewed, I think it was about six guys who went to prison and uh, spent an measurable amount of time in solitary confinement. Even longer than I thought they were allowed to even put you in solitary confinement. Whoa. I was like, wait, what? I got to pull up this article and show it to you. And how, um, how it affected them. And I think, actually, every single person they interviewed, uh, they're out on parole. So it's still, they're suffering from just that seclusion Whoa. in their everyday life. They can't function. It's crazy. Because something like legit breaks or what? Yeah, like something in their mind just broke. I and, gotta read this. Yeah, it's nuts. And and it's funny because it was interesting to read this because I remember growing up or still sometimes every once in a while when I watch a movie on prison, about prison, and someone's about to get shanked mm. and they know that this faction in prison is about to kill them and then they're just protecting themselves and they get into a fight because they, they want to survive. And then they end up getting thrown in solitary confinement and they're screaming. They're like, no, don't put me in there. And I'm thinking like, wait, wait, wait what? What? You don't have to worry about these people trying to kill you now. You're <laughs> going to be in a, a room by yourself. I would every day try to get in solitary confinement. Mm. And I would always wonder, why is it freaking them out? But then as I got older, I started realizing how scary the, the quiet mind can be mm. after a long period of time. So I always think that's funny. Uh, but yeah, that, that's terrifying. Um, also, so Mike says very early, and this was very interesting to me. When someone sees you in a way that you don't necessarily see yourself, you can start seeing yourself that way. Um, with booking celebs, celebrities for most of my career, um, that's something very common I see with celebrities and or public figures. Um, I've heard this lament time and time again because people see you on a screen, they see you uh, quoted or whatever, and they think they know who you are, but then they come at you and they expect you to be this person that they expect you to be. And it's interesting to hear that suddenly you feel the need to have to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, I wonder what your thoughts are on that. Well, so I've had the world's most minor um, run in with that. And it, it happened recently. So I'm doing more speaking now. And so I'll meet people that will come up and I, 
I'm still in that phase where I feel like I should be invisible. Mm-hmm. But when I'm at a speaking gig, I'm not, right? So A, yeah. they're expecting me. And B, some percentage of them probably, if I've been asked to come speak there, know who I am. So they'll come up to me and be like, oh my God, like I feel like I know you. Yeah. And it's that sense of like, I don't, I don't know your screen name. I've never seen like your little avatar. Like, cause when it's somebody who I've engaged with socially, <laughs> yeah. then I do feel like a sense of connection and it's not weird. But when it's like, I legit, I've never seen this person. Yeah. Nothing, not a comment, not a nothing, nothing, nothing. And they're like, I feel like I know you that because I know what it's like to be on that side of yeah. feeling that way about a celebrity or whatever, where you really like Stephen King, I feel like I know him. Mm. And I feel like if we met that he should be like, Tom, yeah. but he'd be like, who the <laughs> fuck are you? So because I know that other side, uh, it is super surreal to be on yeah. this side. It, it, it almost feels like amnesia. I know that huh. sounds stupid, but it's like, that's how it felt when he was like, it, it was like, don't you remember me? And you're like, Oh fuck. Like I've, Maybe even better, the guy from Memento, right? Yeah. Where it's like, you can't form new memories. It's just yeah, a weird, yeah. like, you feel like you're you. You feel like you know everything about your life. But somehow this person's like, I know you, and you don't know them back. It is, it is a very strange feeling. But at the same time, like, this is where I'm very grateful that I'm just me. Now, it's okay. admittedly a slice of me, but... I decided when I was decided to step forward and be on camera and all that, that I needed to be, if you woke me up in the middle of the night, punched me in the head and started asking me questions, I'd give you the same answers, right? Because mm-hmm. it's just me to the core of my being. Mm. So that way I'm very comfortable because I'm not thinking about persona or, oh, mm-hmm. I have to be a certain way. It's mm-hmm. like if somebody overheard a conversation and then interrupted me, I wouldn't be like, oh, I didn't want them to hear that conversation. So because I've been open with all this stuff. But if being like a really well-known celebrity that's like crafted a persona oh that mm. that you would feel like you had to look over your shoulder all the time i would hate that i can't even begin to imagine what that must be like and especially if you're just having a bad day or just having not even a bad day a regular day and you're not on like uh the character that someone's used to seeing you in tv mm. or, or or the musician who's used to having this energy on stage you're just having a cup of joe and someone expects you to be the other person uh, I could only imagine that taking a toll on you. So I, it was very interesting to hear him bring that up because mm-hmm. I've heard that time and time again. And, you know, I, I have friends who've gone on to be quote-unquote celebrities, and I see it in them too. They just they get so frustrated that, I mean, they're grateful for where they are. They're not like, ah, fans, whatever. But at the same time, it's hard to always be on or mm-hmm. be someone completely different. It's like, that's not who I am. This is who I am. So, um, yeah, I thought that was interesting. Um, one of our viewers, Steven Schrembeck, says, I like this interview with someone who is figuring it out. Rather than someone who has it figured out, it's easy to relate to him despite the success. Uh, that, to me, uh, I took pause and saw that, um, again, as a booker. Because we tend to have, I mean, we have all types of people on the show, for sure. But uh, we tend to have people on the show who, I guess, give the illusion, I would say, not intentionally, that they have it figured out. So that's interesting that he said that. So two parts to that for me. Um, I get it. It's great. It's, it's nice to have someone you can relate to. And someone who's very honest, like Mike, and saying, look, I'm still at a place where I'm trying to figure out what's next, where I'm going. Um, this has hurt in the past. This can hurt now. But I'm figuring it out. And then you have other folks who come on who have it all, who seem to have it all. But I guess, in my opinion, I'm not at that level of, say, a John Paul DeJoria, but 
um, it's easy to think that they're not still trying to figure it out, which I'm sure he still is. And, and you know, I want to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope that nobody ever feels like, oh, I've got this on lock, mm -hmm. right? That I'm still learning and I'm growing and my thinking changes. And I think that Mike is probably more... Um, like he caveats things more with reminders like that and says it out loud. But I thought he had deep wisdom in this interview. And so it was really interesting to hear him both like, hey, I'm learning, I'm figuring this out, this could change tomorrow, maybe I'm wrong about this, but, but he really did have deep wisdom. And I think that it was hard earned deep wisdom. And I think that what makes him powerful, and hey, here leveraging again the um, Leonardo da Vinci book, the, <coughs> the author, um, Isaac, uh, Walter, Walter Isaacson, mm -hmm. said what really made Da Vinci amazing was that he was always willing to change his mind. And you mm -hmm. see him in his journal being like, oh, I used to think this, but now I think this. And so especially in the social age now where people put themselves out there as themselves, mm -hmm. not as a character or persona, but yeah. really who they are. And you get to see them over years. Like, I've now been on camera, dude, for almost, what, three years? Yeah. It's close to three years now. So Wow, yeah, it is. Crazy, right? So when I think about that, <coughs> and I see my own belief system changing and ideas that I had, realizing, oh, no, 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 that wasn't it. Like, even yeah. at the beginning of Impact Theory, I was saying, look, I, I think I'm a great leader, but I'm not a good manager. I have no interest in acquiring that skill. Then I read um, principles and realize, holy hell, like how wrong was I? And mm -hmm. that this is absolutely necessary. Now I have to gain this skill set. And so, and that's but one of, I'm sure, dozens of things that I've changed my position on. So I think mm -hmm. <clears throat> being willing to, one, when you think you know, say it like you think you know. Yeah. Like there's no reason <laughs> to pretend like that you don't have an insight that served you well. But then at the same time, always be willing to admit you're wrong. Mm-hmm. I think that's important. And again, in my opinion, when you admit you're wrong, you're opening up uh, a door to learning. You know what I mean? Instead of, uh, I mean, even the, God, even if you do think you're an expert at something, like you said it earlier with, uh, with Da Vinci, you know what I mean? Uh, he was dissecting people to get better at sculpting um, or painting and wherever, you know what I mean? It's like, who does that? That's crazy. That like, crazy. oh, this looks real what I'm doing, but you know what? I want it to be exactly real, so I'm going to go and dissect the body. That's nuts. He would do things, just to give you an idea of how crazy, and these are like the simple things. He would do things like, based on where the light source was, he would dilate one pupil slightly more than the other. What? In the painting. Are yeah, you serious? It's, dude, it's bananas. Like, when you start getting into, like, when you look at the Mona Lisa, it's easy to be like, meh. Yeah. But when an art historian breaks it down for you, why it's so amazing, like yeah, even just it, looking yeah. at the fact that she's wearing like this gauze over her head. Mm -hmm. So the it's the wife of a silk maker. So it's like that's why he paid so much like attention to the detail in her garments. Wow. And there's like she's got this like super thin veil, which I didn't even realize she was wearing a veil until yeah. he starts describing it. So I go and look it up. I'm like, holy shit, she is. But like you don't even really notice it. But like how hard it would have been to paint that. Yeah. And that like the hair that's under the veil is ever so slightly different. And dude, Da Vinci went on like page after page after page about how things look differently. Their color changes over distance. There's more atmosphere between you. So it takes on a hazier quality. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. It's crazy. So, wow. Yeah. That's done. You, you got to go hard for that. I'm, cake. I'm actually, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, as a society, we tend to encourage and embrace change, but it's difficult for us to accept that in public figures. Um, 
speaking of change, you'd mentioned that right before this. Uh, Mike even says, dude, I'm the brand. Whatever I do, it's the brand. Mm. And he said that in response to someone saying, mm, your beard, I don't know, man, is that on brand? But I get it. Like When he said that, it hit me so hard. Because one of my complaints growing up, and it's funny looking back that I used to complain about this, I had an issue with Madonna growing up, which is so weird. <laughs> I don't understand what my problem was. And I used to be so mad being like, God. What's up with this album by Madonna, man? Why is it so different than the last album? Because that's what Madonna did. She kept Reinvent. reinventing herself. Yeah. And to me, it was crazy. It's like, why, why is she doing this? I want to hear Borderline. Why is she talking about erotica? <laughs> and I can't believe that's where my mind was. Uh, but just like his quote, dude, I'm the brand. What I do is the brand. That's, that's Madonna, you know, for example. You know what I mean? Like, you're the brand. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I think it's crazy. <laughs> I think it's the one thing where it's like you have to take him in context. So he mm -hmm. realized success wasn't the thing that was going to make him happy. Yeah. And so he's in this world of trying to reconcile his ambition. And, and you know, it'll be interesting to see what he does because he said, look, on the one hand, I care deeply about winning a Grammy. And then on the other hand, mm -hmm. I don't care at all. Mm -hmm. And so I, I like get ambition. I fully understand it. And because I am so ambitious, and, and by the way, I don't understand wanting to quiet my ambition. That mm -hmm. doesn't make any sense to me. Mm -hmm. Now, if I woke up tomorrow and no longer felt ambitious, cool, no worries. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't, there's no moral obligation to be ambitious. It's just, I am ambitious. Mm -hmm. I don't see anything negative about being ambitious. I also don't see anything negative about failing. Mm -hmm. So I have these massive ambitions. Let's say they never come true. I won't be crying on my deathbed because they didn't come true. I'll be like, cool. I gave it my all, man. I fucking tried and I had fun doing it. And it was stuff that I was deeply passionate about. I enjoyed the process. I knew the struggles guaranteed the success mm -hmm. wasn't. I went after it. So mm. like, I get that. But if you're ambitious and you don't recognize the realities of marketing, mm -hmm. I think that you're cruising for a bruising. Now, that's not to paint that onto Mike, because I think Mike is very realistic about what he wants to do is make the music that's exciting for him. Mm -hmm. But like, for instance, I realized that brands are just not as flexible as you want them to be. I created a whole new channel for Real Impact, the mm -hmm. show that we do together. And I didn't try to put it on forward slash Tom Bilyeu. I could have said, hey, I'm the fucking brand. Mm -hmm. It is what it is. Anything I'm into, that's that. But the YouTube algorithm fucking disagrees. <laughs> and it's like, I'm not going to show that. Your, yeah. your um, followers are not used to that. They don't watch it at the same rate. And therefore, I'm not going to show it. And so it would then drag down the rest of our channel. And then I wouldn't be able to have the kind of success that I want. And so this is one of those things. This is not like the fucking secret. Want it and it will come. Mm -hmm. Like this, you've got to understand. You've got to have business acumen, dude. Mm -hmm. You've got to have marketing acumen. So for every Madonna, there are 10,000 other people that had one hit and then evaporated because they tried that next thing, which is really exciting for them, and the world didn't care. Yeah. Yeah, that's very interesting. It's very, very interesting. Um, and it's true. I mean, you think about certain singers who would try to pull that off, and it just wouldn't quite work. Um, I mean, who knows? It may have worked for Michael Jackson, but I, I honestly can't imagine if Michael Jackson came back with another album and he had, like, a flat top instead of his curls. It may kind of trip people out. <laughs> or, like, because you can get away with some styling, but if uh -huh. his music was totally different. Yeah, yeah. Like, if he tried to drop, like, a Jay-Z-style album, oh, yeah. he'd be Oof. like... Ooh. Man. And the, that's the weird thing. So the greatest irony of my life 
is when I was at Quest doing inside Quest, which is exactly Impact Theory. It is literally the same team mm -hmm. doing the show, just rebranded. People were like, why is the protein bar guy talking about mindset? Yeah, it's not so funny. we set it all aside. We start from zero subscribers and we build it back up. Now, when I talk about health, people are like, why is the mindset guy <laughs> yeah. talking about health? Yeah. It's so ridiculous. Yeah. But that's the reality. Like people look in at a certain person or thing. They have this like ineffable like sense of how they make them feel and all that like for instance so i can do impact quotes pour my heart and soul into it do it like a performance it's over the top it's like riding the waves music underneath it mm -hmm. like building it up now if somebody else were to try doing that that doesn't have the the right to sort of do what is almost spoken word poetry mm -hmm. right it's like motivational mm. in the extreme mm -hmm. somebody that doesn't have the like buy-in from their audience could do it exactly the same way mm. maybe even better than me but people wouldn't buy in they'd laugh or whatever but dude i'm telling you it's so weird to me it is so weird to me like ed sheeran can rap or sing people are down yeah but somebody else trying to do that they'd be like Come yeah, on, who's this guy yeah. think he is? Even if they were just as good. Yeah. But because he started that from the jump, that's yeah. become like how it's crazy because he doesn't have the look of a pop or a rock star. He looks very folksy. He's a redheaded guy from the United Kingdom. And here he is uh, freaking rapping and, uh, and singing and even doing covers of popular rap songs. You're like, whoa. But he pulls it off. But like you said, that's one out of every 10,000. <laughs> Correct. You can't do it. So yeah, that, that's very interesting. Great insight. Um, Mike also says in the interview, the only wrong way to do a day is to believe that there's a right way to do a day. Um, I get it. And it's one of those things that every once in a while, a simple phrase like that will trip me up. And I'm just like, the only wrong way to do a day. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> so um, to me, that was very interesting because what I take from it, and I'm going to ask what you take from it, is he's basically saying if you go into a day and you want to repeat the same patterns you did before and you know what that whatever is going to happen that day is all mapped and planned out, you have it put together, um, you may be setting yourself up for failure. That's how I take it, but I'm curious how you take it. You know, it's interesting. So the way that he means it, certainly where he was doing it, because that was him in his retreat, seven days, no contact mm -hmm. with anybody else. And he was still like, oh, am I doing this wrong? Mm -hmm. And so he then realizes, wow, I ask myself that all the time. That's sort of the thing that haunts me is I always have the sense that I'm not doing it right. And that that is in and of itself the thing that's fucking me up. It's kind of like the quote, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. So if you flip that, though, and look at it like from my perspective, which is I'm goal oriented. And what I love doing is setting a goal and then going after it. Like I just, every neurochemical, like positive thing that you could have, even missing a goal, it's just fun for me to go after goals for things to have a purpose. In fact, not to over lean on uh, Da Vinci here, but he did not seem goal oriented. He was just in it for, he was so inquisitive, which is why mm. I was telling you he left so many things unfinished. Because once he was no longer interested, like he would just move on, even if there was a ton of money in it. My thing is, dude, what I love is chasing the goal, mm. and but only when it's sincere. Like once I'm chasing a goal, but I'm actually not trying to accomplish it, it's not interesting to me anymore. So as long as it's sincere and chasing the goal, there really is a right way to do a day because you can go, is this actually moving me towards my goal or not? 
And to me, that doesn't create any weird conflict within myself. It, and also, I will say that if that's causing like indecision and paralysis, now you're really screwed. So mm. I don't worry so much about doing it the right way or is this really going to take me towards my goals that I'll ever tolerate indecision because I know that that's the true killer of dreams. Um, <clears throat> but I really do think there is a right and a way, wrong way to do something if you have a very clear goal. Hmm. All right. Uh, I know we're running out of time here, so I will. This is the last question uh, or last comment, I should say. Uh, so Mike talks about his father. Uh, he mentions it within the interview, and then you guys also close on this. Uh, he basically said that his father passing away uh, was a gift because it reminded him that uh, he was going to die. So essentially, it reminded him of his own mortality. Um, and it, it was very interesting to me because I literally just finished a book. It's a fairly new book. It came out a couple of weeks ago. It's called The Immortalist, and it's by Chloe Benjamin. It's fiction. And basically, the book is about these four siblings when they were aged 9, 13, 15, and 17. Um, they go see this woman, this gypsy. Uh, they call her. That's the character's uh, name. Actually, her name is Gypsy until they find out her name later in the book. They go see her, and she basically tells them the day that each of them are going to die. And she tells them individually. Only one of you can come in the room. So... Uh, not to give the book away, but it, it rocks the world. So basically, the bulk of the book is how they live their life, knowing what day they're going to die. Mm. And um, very, very interesting examination on choices and fates and what people um, do on having that information. So re hearing that statement from him reminded me of the book. It also reminded me, I've talked about this before, my mom's passing, that it kind of rewired me, everything about me. Um, but, uh, a lot of people that happens when they realize their mortality and they start living and actually doing things, but you have a very interesting take on that. We talked about it off camera about, uh, your whole deathbed thing, how everyone wants to look back on their deathbed mm. and think this thing, but you have an interesting take on that. Yeah. I, uh, I look at it totally differently. So my thing is I, I have no interest in living my life for the frame of reference that I will have when I'm dying. So first of all, I really do hope that I live forever. And I do live in the friction between, I hope that I'll live forever and I know I could die today, right? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, trust me, I'm not oblivious to the fact that as of right now, death is a certainty. So my thing is, in every like moment of your life, you're looking at your life through the lens of that period of, you know, now I feel like even just living a normal human lifespan, I'm still less than halfway. And so that gives me optimism to plan for the future, which is why impact theory is so long ranging in its goals. And like none of that's weird to me because I know that, you know, I probably have that time. <clears throat> If I knew that, you know, I had a terminal illness, for instance, and I knew six months is the prognostication, let's say I stretched out to three years, maybe even five years, I would still do things dramatically different. So I'd be worried about Lisa and make sure that she's set up. I'd shut the company down to make sure that she could just live off the money forever and she never had to worry about anything. I'd get all of our affairs in order, all that stuff, and I would live a much more... Um, hedonistic, like just pleasure in the moment kind of life, right? So 
And all of those frames of reference make sense in that moment. But knowing that I potentially have a lot of years left, it does not make sense right now to live a hedonistic life, even though I know if I had certainty that I would die soon, that my perspective would immediately shift. But I wouldn't say, oh my God, I can't believe all those years that I didn't live hedonistically. That doesn't make sense because the frame of reference, you've got to be true to the frame of reference that you have right now. So I know at the end of my life, like if somebody said, you've only got three months to live, for those three months, all of my life preceding it would seem ridiculous from that new frame of reference. But even if I project myself into that frame of reference and go, okay, somebody who knows that they're coming to an end, all they're going to care about, they're going to care about the way that they think about loved ones, the way loved ones think about them. They're going to think, have I done anything that's going to make me live on? Like, for instance, um, writing the book is the biggest pain in my ass. If I were dying, I'd write fiendishly because I would want something to live on beyond me. So, but right now, like, it's not a priority. So even though I could articulate to you and make you believe that I was embodying that frame of reference of being on my deathbed, none of the actions that would make sense for somebody on their deathbed would bring me actual real neurochemical joy right now. So for instance, I love my family. I spend time with them. I won't say as much as I can because it's absolutely false. I don't spend as much time with them as I can, but given my frame of reference, I spend enough time with them that I really get to enjoy them and love them and sort of soak and steep in that. But if I knew that they were dying in a week, I would change everything, right? Mm -hmm. But you've got to live within the frame of reference that you have. So I don't understand people who live in their life right now today like they might actually die tomorrow. But first of all, keep in mind, I don't need that to be my impetus to do something. I'm already super ambitious, ultra aggressive. I'm not patient. I'm going all out every day. I literally often think about if I died tomorrow or found out I was dying tomorrow, would I be traumatized with how I spent my time? And the answer is no. So I'm sort of already very clear about that stuff. But... I don't like the needing a reminder of your mortality to change how you live your life today. I, I actively don't understand that Mm. because the only reason that somebody would need that is if they're living their life in a way that's incongruous with what their passions are. Mm -hmm. So very interesting. You heard it here. Uh, well, yeah. So Mike Posner, I'm curious to see where he goes from here. He has, uh, things that he wants to do on the horizon and he wants, uh, everyone to celebrate international peace day. So we'll see. That would be amazing. All right. We're out of time, I assume. Mm -hmm. All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. If you haven't watched this episode already, be sure to dive in. I was blown away by Mike. The reviews on this one are incredible. People are way, way, way into this episode, and I think that it hit a lot of people a lot harder than they expected, so be sure to check it out. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Hey everybody, thank you so much for listening. And if this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, rate and review us. That helps us build this community. And that is what we are all about right now, building this community as big as we can to help as many people as we can deliver as much value as possible. And you guys rating and reviewing really helps with that. All right, guys, thank you again so much. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.